0: This is for the passionate Seahawks fans, the ones who care about scheme more than hot takes, the, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads From the eye in the sky. This is it's Seattle, Seattle Overload, with your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go!
1: Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast where we're looking to move on from that very disappointing week 9 with a week 10 preview of how the Seahawks can maybe or maybe not get back on track with a home game versus the Washington Commanders and I'm joined by a guest as ever we've been using guests to preview this stuff because they're they're much much smarter than us. And this is the perfect guest for the Washington Commanders. Previously a tape analyst for the Athletic and the Washington Post, now has his own substack full of great tape analysis, the same type of stuff he was doing then. And most importantly, with no Griff or Ty here with me, this is a British or English takeover of the Seattle Overload podcast. Mark Bullock, how are you doing? I am very well, thank you. How are you? (laughs) I'm good, I'm good. It's like You know, we we, we spoke uh, before we got on air about how we're doing, but <laughs> for for the listener, in case in case Mark wasn't okay. Um. <laughs> um anyway, so Mark, I guess first off, off, right off the bat, I always get asked this question, and Americans are interested in it. But as an as an English person, how did you get into the sport
0: of football? Yeah, it's um yeah, you're right, it is the most probably the most common question I get. Um it, it's not too uh, amazing. It's more just um when I was younger, my my dad's job took the whole family out to the states um just before I turned 5 and I, I grew up just outside Washington DC for 5, five years, um almost 5 years to the date and um came back to the UK just before I turned 10, but at that point i kind of grown up with some american sports um when i came back to the uk obviously got into english sports and, and stuff but um the nfl started gaining traction and being shown on tv and stuff here and and um i kind of started to get back into it and naturally kind of felt like following washington's that's kind of where i lived and i felt like that would was kind of my home team um and uh yeah it's kind of just grown from there I, I kept following the sport and um it, it really intrigued me with how each individual plays its own little chess match and um the different schemes that are involved rather than like our sports our football or soccer uh, where it's quite there's obviously lots of tactics and stuff that go into that but it's it's quite an open flowing game whereas the NFL has scripted plays that are designed specifically for certain situations and stuff so um that was very different from what i was used to here so um that just kind of intrigued me and uh my my interest took off from there
1: that's brilliant that, um that you described it like that because i think i've said in the past how i was always interested in soccer uh, tactics but and then i realized that american football or football was um every play was like a set piece uh, everything was like a free kick or corner routine yep. all coordinated and i was like this is nuts like this is crazy there's no like constantly moving uh, things, that's something I can definitely relate to. Um, and it's cool, I think, that uh, you, you've managed to make a career um, being like. I mean, as I said to uh, Griff and everyone uh, before, you're the expert for the commanders. Like, regardless of nationality, you are the guy that we were like, we've got to have him on to preview the commanders game because that's the that's the X's No scheme, dude. <laughs>
0: it's uh it's kind of weird that i've carved out a little niche for myself there um i i I would still say i'm not the number one go-to guy uh i I think you're being kind to me there but no um it's um it's certainly a a little niche that i have managed to carve out and um certainly most people seem to enjoy what i do so yeah it's good
1: awesome so Obviously, you are focused on Washington, but you, I'm sure, pay attention to the NFL and the Seattle Seahawks, especially in Week Ten. What's your impression of them from afar?
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting team. They they kind of feel like every year you're kind of expecting them to be pretty solid and and pretty decent, and especially coming from kind of a a Washington viewpoint of Washington's always terrible. Um, you you see the Seahawks as this kind of almost an example of a franchise to follow where they, they've had this longstanding GM head coach partnership, and um, they seem to build things the right way and and are consistently decent, um, if not better than that. And um, obviously the last few years, it's been a little bit tougher with the, the change in quarterback and uh, the stuff between Russ and, and Pete Carroll and, um, you know, the, the kind of the evolution of, of Shanahan and Sean McVeigh in that division has um, especially as a Washington guy that has grown up learning from the Shanahan McVeigh stuff that was in Washington at first um, that uh, has kind of always felt like, Oh, it's a bit tough on the Seahawks to have both those guys in that division. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, we've always, I've always seen Seattle as a good team um, and, and one where you can't take them lightly at all, even, you know, when russell wilson was traded and um you know gino smith's the guy and and what have you it, it's still not anyone you can take lightly they're always going to play tough they're always going to be hard to move the ball and score against and um it's never going to be an easy game so yeah I, I i think everyone kind of appreciates that that's a, a well-run team and a, and a tough team to beat every week
1: yeah um that's interesting to hear we've, we've had a, a mixture of responses really and i think a lot of that right now is to do with, you know, Geno Smith, the narrative around him. Pete Carroll for a while, he, his stock was down, I think, generally speaking, like nationally. And then people saw how Russell Wilson got on and, and Geno's uh, remarkable kind of rise to being the starter and they, he gained some credit in the bank. Defense kind of up and down, That that's always a, an interesting thing. And now the narratives around the team are really heavily gino focused and then the kind of prize around gino along with the prize that some people had about pete carroll as well or or the, the kind of um doubts they had around whether he could take seattle to a super bowl but i i really like how you've um you mentioned the division because it's brutal it is absolutely brutal those two especially for like if you're trying to build a defense it seems sometimes <laughs> they they get caught in ways where they're, they're almost building defenses to beat those two teams And then those two teams evolve slightly and stay one step ahead. Meanwhile, the rest of the league isn't quite doing that same thing. So it's like, Mm. oof.
0: Yeah, I I can imagine that is a very, very tough situation because those are two of the best offensive minds in the league. And um, they do things slightly differently. So you have to... It's not a massively dissimilar offense, but you do still have to prepare slightly differently for each one. And then, yeah, the, the... the Shanahan tree is kind of sprawled around the league but each guy does their own little flavor of it and uh, the little tweaks make it very hard to defend against each version of it and and then there's you know teams that are doing the Andy Reid stuff and then that's another take on the on the west coast stuff so yeah it, it's it's a tough uh division I would imagine to to try to build especially a, with a defensive minded head coach to be um typically the, those defensive minded head coaches are you know, we're we're defense first and we run the ball and and, and that kind of style. Uh, that is tough to be hanging around with uh, McVeigh and Shanahan, I would think.
1: Absolutely. So <laughs> in terms of Washington, 2023, uh, did they already get their most meaningful win of the year, given now Dan Schneider's gone? Um... Yes. <laughs> yes, is the short
0: answer. Yes.
1: That was um, the Super Bowl, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that was... Uh, I, I'm thinking there. I think there was like a parade at one point on, on in the streets of DC um, <laughs> to celebrate that. It 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 was essentially their Super Bowl. Um, it, it certainly felt that way. The the guy was uh, just a terror in the in the team and in the organization and and had run things so poorly and and had all the the sexual assault stuff against him and and. Um, so it, it wasn't just, you know, running the team badly, it was bringing all the other stuff in on top of it and congressional hearings and, and getting all of that kind of stuff piled onto the team. It, it it was it was rough for a while there. Um and so to get rid of him, um Josh Harris, the the and his ownership group, it, it'd be uh it'd be tough for them to get anywhere near as bad as what Snyder did.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that is very useful context, but I am curious about Josh Harris. I know it's very, very early, um, but that's kind of scary as well, because you're like, well, is the owner going to come in and try to do too much or be too involved? And it, I, I guess it kind of helps that uh, Harris' own the 76ers. Uh, is it the Devils in yeah. in, the, in ice hockey as well? Yeah. Um, so maybe he's learned some lessons from, from that, you, you'd hope. Uh, what's your kind of early impression of him?
0: Yeah, he um he hasn't come in guns blazing and, and I think the timing of the ta- takeover kind of meant that he couldn't really do that anyway, um, because that, that it happened in uh I think it was July. Um so it, it was just before training camp started. So it wasn't like he could come in and fire Ron Rivera and fire the front office and, and hire his new guys. That's just not gonna happen uh, like two days before training camp. So um it he he's always was going to have to take a conservative approach and and kind of use this year to evaluate everyone in the building and see who's worth keeping around and then who's not worth keeping around. And, um, you know, that certain people feel like they're not necessarily going to be staying around. I I think a a large portion of the people in the building right now probably won't be staying around. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think the timing of the takeover has helped him not, make any rash decisions. And, and he doesn't seem to be the kind of guy that makes rash decisions anyway. Um, everyone talks to how he um, how he did the, the whole the process situation in, in Philadelphia with the 76ers and he's willing to give time and, and, and trust his GMs that he hires. And, and that's not a bad thing. Um, so whether we'll see a complete clear out and you know they they go into tanking mode and draft picks i am not sure um but I, I think there will probably be some significant change in january um but he has always he has already done some good things like um they took over like as i say a few days before training camp and they instantly managed to install um some nice stands at the training <laughs> camp facility for fans to come in and, and watch the practices and like it was mental that that wasn't already a thing. Um, yeah. It was amazing that they were able to do that so quickly, but um, like that kind of stuff is going to easily get fans on side. Um, and, and so he, he's not really done set a foot wrong yet, not that he really could. Um, but yeah, yeah the, the, he's still in the honeymoon phase, I think, right now.
1: That's funny. I can empathize with that as well because uh, I'm a Newcastle United fan and <laughs> we don't need to get into the, the ownership uh, Sure. sure things with the public investment fund and that kind of moral real ambiguity there. But mm. it kind of reminds me of how, when Mike Ashley was the owner, the the players, their hydrotherapy or whatever was a pad, literally a, a adult paddling pool. And, <laughs> and then, uh, when, uh, when the nice kind of, uh, non-problematic front of like Amanda Stavely and, and, uh, company came in, they, they actually, like painted the walls and and like cleaned the stadium and it was like oh that we're actually like a football team now just like washington's actually behaving like an nfl franchise it seems like but exactly I, I was interested in um like the dynamic around the team some of the stuff you were saying it's it's kind of odd like sometimes i'm wondering is eric be enemy like kind of being sniffed out as like the potential successor to ron rivera like it, are they thinking like that um and then the decision to trade uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat, which, I mean, I've got a question on now, uh, a bit later, but I'm kind of wondering now, is like, I know Martin May, who's the GM, he's been there since 2021, uh, right? Yeah. And it's like, would that, would that his decision? Is that ownership? I know there's no way to tell, but I mean, what's your vibe on these kinds of things?
0: Yeah, so when Rivera was hired, he was hired basically as the kind of coach centric model, the, the Belichick model uh, where he's kind of coach and GM and oversees everything. Um, and yes, he hires GMs and, and he hired Martin Mayhew as his GM. And, and he brought in Marty Herney as a kind of an assistant to him. Um, and they're kind of, he effectively has two GMs, but they both report to him rather than him reporting to them. So Ron Rivera is the guy overseeing everything. Um, so, in the end, it all kind of falls on him um, with the Eric the enemy thing. It, it certainly kind of feels like it could be a path of a succession there. The um, enemy obviously left that very nice coordinated job in yeah. Kansas city with the best quarterback and best tight end in the league. And, um, you know, it, it was good for him to get out of that shadow of Andy Reid and, and try to prove himself elsewhere. And, if he could come to Washington and, and develop Sam Howell into a franchise quarterback, then I, I think he'll have a hell of a lot of head coaching offers in the off season. Um, so it, it was a, it was a gutsy call, but he made it. Um, and it, he certainly had done more than just be an offensive coordinator. Like he, he got the title of assistant head coach and, and you quite often see those titles just given out to, you know, appease like, he can't make a horizontal move. He has to make a move upwards. And and but he actually has been given responsibility and, and Rivera seems to have been preparing him for a head coaching job by things like the practice schedule in, in training camp. And um, when they organize, like what times of day they're doing practices and walkthroughs and um, the tempo of practices and um, when and where they're, they're doing them, whether they, organizing uh they they had a practice with uh, with the Ravens in the in the training camp so um you know that he was organizing all of that stuff as well so um it, it felt like Ron Rivera was giving Eric Biennemi plenty of practice to become a head coach and there has been kind of rumors that that might be the succession plan but Biennemi was hired before the takeover happened so um whether Josh Harris and his ownership group will see it the same way, I don't know. Um I, I think a lot of that probably depends on where they fall with Sam Howe and, and if if Sam Howe trends in the right direction and then they think, okay, he can be our financial quarterback, then you probably don't want to lose Eric the enemy and have Sam Howe learning a new system. You probably wanna elevate the enemy, keep the same system, um, and then go from there. So uh yeah, it, it's kind of a bit of a mess. Uh, in the end it all kind of falls on Rivera. Um, and it's an odd one because as you mentioned that the the trades happened um and and i'm sure we'll get onto those later but it was kind of a, a weird situation where ron rivera needs to win to prove to ownership he's worth keeping around but at the same time he's trading away for future picks um which did feel a bit odd and kind of not necessarily the best thing for him even if it was probably the best thing for the franchise um but yeah, it's it's an odd situation and it's very fluid. And I think there will be a significant amount of change when we get to kind of January and the end of the season.
1: Yeah, so it's a huge, like, n- not quite second half of the season, right? But like the remaining, I don't know how many games, eight, nine? Yep. Yeah. Yeah,
0: eight.
1: yeah that's uh, something to keep an eye on. Uh, kind of uh, terrifying, really. Uh, and I guess the the big deal there is is Sam Howe in his second year, fifth round pick out of UNC. How is he doing at quarterback? Is is he real? <laughs> That's very early. He,
0: yeah, he's um. Well, I mean, he, he's he's most certainly real. Uh, the amount of hits he's taking he proven you, you know he 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 doesn't need a, a pinch to prove that he's he's not dreaming. He's he's taken a, enough hits to prove that. Um. Yeah, he he's. He's developing nicely, I would say. Um, I'm not ready to commit to saying he's their franchise quarterback as as much as Ron Rivera in press conferences uh, recently has been kind of hyping him up as saying, we found our guy. Um, That's probably more Rivera trying to keep his job and saying, hey, look, I found a franchise quarterback than actually necessarily fully believing it yet. Um, I think it's a little bit premature to go there, but he's certainly trending in the right direction. Um, He's a guy that's always had the kind of, arm talent to, to deliver the ball where, wherever he needs to. He's been accurate enough. Um, he can actually place the ball very nicely on certain routes, um, throws down the sideline. He, he seems to be pinpoint accurate, um, and, and that's pretty rare. Um, but the main issue that he has had has been sacks, um, and, and he's taken – I mean, he was on record-breaking pace through the first seven games of the season, he took 40 sacks through seven games, which is averaging nearly six a game. Um, and I think the the NFL record was, is I think 72 in a season or something like that. And is he that was on David Carr. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Hal was on 40 and he'd only played seven games. <laughs> um, so he was, he was well on pace to beat that. Um, the last few weeks, they, they seem to have, um, Things seem to have started to click for him a little bit more. Uh, people tend to think, "Oh, he's getting sacked a lot. The offensive line is terrible. Uh, the offensive line isn't great, but it's not horrific. It's probably about the middle of the pack." Um, and generally, they're they're good enough to give a quarterback enough time to deliver the ball within rhythm of the play um, and be efficient. And and how, being a young quarterback, you know, he was seeing things for the first time quite frequently. Every every defense he saw was the first time he was seeing those schemes. And so early in the season, he was holding onto the ball a little bit long um, just because there was a new look for him that he hadn't seen before. Um, and that led to him taking sacks because the offensive line wasn't, you know, it, it's not the Eagles offensive line that can let a quarterback sit back there for 10 seconds and, and pick things apart. So he was taking a lot of sacks and, and, the offensive line wasn't helping him necessarily in that regard. And the last two, it kind of came to a head in the giants game in week seven, where he did take six sacks and they decided to make a cha- a couple of changes up front. Well, that one change was enforced, their left guard got injured. So they replaced him and they, their center had a really bad game in terms of making the calls and identifying blitzes and stuff. Um, Cause in that giants game, they, The Giants send a lot of blitzes. Wink Martindale loves to blitz. Um, And they were so often overloaded despite having enough numbers in to pick up blitzes. So it was a case of them not correctly identifying where the blitz was coming from and and where the protection needed to go. Um, And a lot of that falls on the center. So they switched centers and and Tyler Larson, the new center um, has done a better job of that in the past two weeks but the, the more important thing is that the things are starting to click for Sam Howell, and he's, he played the Eagles two weeks ago for the second time this season. And you could see that he was, things were happening a lot quicker for him having, you know, he he'd already played the Eagles once. So it was like, okay, I know what this defense is trying to do. I know the kind of coverages and the blitzes and, and the stuff that they run. Um, and he was getting the ball out a lot quicker. And he only took one sack in that game. Um, and then this week against the Patriots, Um, he had three sacks, um, but again, he was a lot more efficient and getting the ball out a lot quicker. Um, Still, he he wasn't going into the kind of check down immediately, kind of Alex Smith mode. Um, He he was still reading plays out properly uh, and he was getting the ball to the right receiver. He was just doing it quicker and more efficiently than he had earlier in the season. Um, So if he continues on that trend um, and it's, To be clear, it's only two weeks that he has been cutting down on these sacks and and, um, developing in the right way. But if he continues on that trend, then he has all the natural talent to become a franchise quarterback. Um, But those sacks are the big question, and we need to see that consistently from him.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mark, you should all check out Mark's article, uh, which he wrote on his Substack about this kind of topic and the, the improvements that you've seen. And you wrote how over the past two games, they've given up just four total sacks. And I, watching uh, some film you're breaking down, the way that the Patriots were trying to kind of heat him up, they were clearly trying to test him in similar ways to like a Wink, uh, Wink Martindale would. And then it must be so encouraging to have seen him uh, kind of answer the call of, uh, you know, whether he was throwing hot or just identifying, or, or you know, the receiver was sight-adjusting or, or whether he was actually identifying, hey, this guy's coming, I need to throw it to this route on, on time. Whatever the case, he was beating pressure, which... It's huge, especially against Seattle, because Seattle loves to bring their nickel, be it, uh, you know, if it's Devin Witherspoon in the slot, or it could be Jamal Adams. But it's a big kind of fix-all answer for them, a way of kind of fitting the run from too high, but also um, sending pressure against the pass. Like, they beat the Browns, um, got off the field against the Browns via a a slot blitz where they passed to, tried to quick pass out to beat it, and Jamal Adams headed the football um, (laughs) and, and broke the pass up. So that's going to be a really interesting kind of matchup to see if that progress continues because I don't think Seattle, uh, just the way Pete Carroll's th- thought over the years as well. If there's a quarterback who struggles against pressure, he'll really try and do it early and 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 more often than I think. You know, they're kind of known as a or the the perception of them is always like that rush 4 cover three team, yeah. but uh, they have kind of uh, that was never really Pete, uh, especially in college and and now again has kind of come full cycle.
0: Yeah, it's um it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how how the Seahawks plan to attack him because um you know, earlier in the season teams were tending to rush for and play coverage and try to confuse how that way by showing him different coverages and rotating safeties and stuff um so that he was holding on to the ball and then that front forward get home and then there was that Giants game with Wink Martindale where they just blitzed the hell out of him and, and it was cover zero every other play, essentially. Um, and they they didn't handle it very well up front, and and that's why they changed center. And, and And now Sam Howell's sort of starting to pick up on the little context clues of, you know, oh, the safety has kind of rotated down to this side and there's not necessarily a guy for him to cover on that side. So maybe he's a blitzing threat. Maybe I need to slide the line that way um and so he is starting to pick up on those things and then the center title larson um has has seen a few of those things and he was a bit more experienced than their previous center so um he was helping in that regard as well with with sliding protections and stuff so they're starting to get bodies going the right way they're they're starting to account for the different blitzes that they're seeing um they're not necessarily handling those blitzes particularly well They're, they're still Russia's coming free, but they're they're getting bodies in the right direction. Um, and if Howe can continue, you know, throwing over those blitzes and, and beating that pressure, it's going to be really interesting to see whether defenses start thinking, okay, we need to revert back to trying to confuse him with the different coverages rather than blitzing him too often. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how Seattle game plan for.
1: So this might be a stupid question, but. Um... Well, that's a really bad start. But looking at their offense, and maybe I've just like played, like not watched enough tape of Washington and paid too much attention to fantasy football, which is evil. But um, the offense, like in terms of the like receiving weapons, the running backs, it looks like pretty solid, maybe lacking some size, like Terry McLaurin, Johan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, then Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson in the backfield. That seems like you could do a lot with that. And, and Logan Thomas is a receiving tight end. Uh, is that an accurate assessment or do I need to watch more tape?
0: No, it's a, I would say it's a a very solid group of, of playmakers. And, and part of the reason they, they like what Sam Howell can do is that he can get the ball out really quick and he can spread the ball around. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily focus in on his number one guy and, and feed him the ball. He's, he's happy to read through the progression of the play and find the correct receiver. And because they have, as you mentioned, Terry McLaurin, and John Dotson, Curtis Samuel, and, and they have other guys, the, the tight ends, Logan Thomas and and everyone else, he can spread the ball around comfortably knowing that these guys all have the ability to make plays after the catch. Um, and so that that's kind of the rhythm that they found the past few weeks is that they can go into quick game stuff. They can hit some screens, um, but they can hit the kind of double sticks, the slant flats, the... Um, all those little quick game stuff, spreading teams out and and generating matchups and and getting the ball out quickly and and letting guys like McLaurin and Dotson go to work after the catch. So um, yeah, uh, it is a pretty solid group of of weapons. I I would say it's up there. Personally, I'd say it's probably top 10 in terms of their talent. Um, They they haven't necessarily lived up to that consistently yet, but um, I think with how developing and, and the protection allowing it that that we'll start to see that down the stretch of of that group becoming more and more productive um, because the talent certainly there. Terry McLaurin um, he he's not on the he's not the top five receiver in the league, but he's very very good. Um, and, and Jahan Dotson is a very very good second option, um, and, and Curtis Samuel is would be a good second option on most teams. So for that, to have yeah. him as your third option. Um, it is is pretty is a, a kind of a luxury, really. So, um, yeah, I think it's a real group, good group, um, and it's something that they actively try to spread the ball around. You, you'll you'll quite often see Washington fans complaining Terry McLaurin hasn't got enough targets this week, and it's like, well, that's because Terry McLaurin's getting a lot of extra coverage, and John Dotson's open quite a lot. So yeah, um, yeah, it, it it it's it's one of those situations where they're happy to spread the ball around.
1: Well, it's going to be a really interesting matchup because. Seattle's got good play out of Trey Brown, who kind of comes in when they're in uh, uh like normal nickel personnel, so not like a big nickel, uh, and then sure. comes in in dime on the left side. Uh, then, uh, you know, Witherspoon, uh, Reek, Woolen, who's kind of been up and down this season. He had a knee scope operation in the offseason, which I think is making him a bit rusty. But um, yeah, especially those kind of smaller types of receivers or the more kind of agile types and how Woolen deals with them, is is something to monitor i'd say on the on the right side of seattle's defense left side of uh, washington's offense so you, so you mentioned some of those quick game concepts with um, eric the as the offensive coordinator we spoke about at the start of the show um that sounds i mean it's it's uh, kind of west coasty right that sounds fairly similar to kansas city but like what how different does this offense look to what the they were doing with the chiefs Obviously, you don't have Travis Kelsey playing like backyard football with Mahomes, so you don't have kind of made-up-looking concepts, or do you? <laughs> uh,
0: well, last week there was one where Hal was scrambling around and threw it wildly back across the field. Oh, I saw it, that. Yeah, it was one of those no-no-no-yes plays um, yeah. where, yeah, that, that one was a bit crazy, but no, there hasn't been too, too much of that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is more try to work on script with, with your your handful of quick game concepts and and they've started to build out into more taking some more shots down the field as they're sort of house being more efficient and the protection holding up a little bit better. Um, it Um It is still like the chief's offense, but you have to remember that the chiefs right now are in what year 10 of Andy Reid and it was year five of Eric bien before he left. So they are, Way ahead of what Washington is. This is year one of Eric in, in and it's a young quarterback in Sam Howe, so he's still learning the system. They they definitely don't have anywhere near as much in um, the offense as as what they would in Kansas City, um, and there's not quite as much, you know, crazy motions and and like tight end wrapping around and, and taking a pitch inside on, on third and one type stuff. That 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 isn't quite as common. Um it, it's probably far more basic than than what Kansas City would run right now. Um and, and that's just purely down to you know it's year one and, and Sam Howe's young quarterback there's they're trying to get him to master the stuff that they have in rather than overload him with too much stuff. Um so yeah it is very much a, a West Coast system. Um it, it's predicated on Getting the ball out quickly and a lot of quick game stuff that is, as they like to say, the extension of the run game. Because um, they don't want to run the ball with Eric Bieniemy for some reason. Um, and yeah, that they're starting to build more into the kind of intermediate concepts and and um, lots of sail and dagger and um, those kind of things. Um, and, and you know they, they have they have their handful of different coverage beaters when that Eric Bieniemy the main thing you see with Airbnb is he's very detailed with his game plan and he studies the opposition. And and this was the case in Kansas city. They, they, they don't just know what the opposition's likely to run in second and 10 or third and five or whatever. They don't just know what they're going to run. They know the rules of what they're going to run. And therefore they know how to run certain concepts to attack those rules and and stress those rules and and put defenders in binds. Um, So yeah, it, it, it's still it's still a, a good offense um I, I think if the enemy ends up keeping staying around as head coach for a few years and then Howell's given time to develop um it will grow into a much more complex offense than he is right now but it is as it is right now it's still kind of basic
1: interesting again I kind of look forward to seeing that particularly the coverage beaters because uh Seattle's still running like a Fangio coverage system, some of those tools from the Fangio system, and so while Dagger uh, was spammed to death against him by McVeigh, I hope, I hope I'm not gonna, I've done this before, I've I've gone too early, I've c- counted my chickens, etc. <laughs> but I hope they've kind of uh, fixed that issue. But they certainly Seattle's defense, I think, has some tendencies that uh, we we've been talking about on this show of uh, kind of switching up, maybe because they they may have been worked out. Uh, and and you mentioned the run game. Uh Baltimore and, and Cleveland were able to do some really nasty things to Seattle. Uh particularly their their like most used nickel front by essentially getting into a two tight end look but via eleven personnel, via like condensed sets, and then involving the quarterback in, in the run game, uh especially like gun. Now, Howell isn't like uh correct me if I'm wrong here, <laughs> he's not <laughs> Lamar Jackson. Um, no. no, he but he doesn't have the, the mobility of a PJ Walker either, right? Because I think if I was enemy and I was looking at what had worked against Seattle's defense the past two weeks, like uh, just like um, split tight zone from uh, eleven personnel with the the tight end off the line of scrimmage, uh, and the quarterback you know threatening to keep the football off that, it caused real issues because Seattle can only do so many things out of their like over a front structure.
0: Yeah, it, Hal hasn't really been involved in the run game, which I thought he would be. He he's not as you say, he's not Lamar Jackson. Uh, he doesn't have breakaway speed, but he, um, he is pretty mobile. He, he's, he's athletic for a quarterback. Um, and in college, he did do a lot of stuff involved in the run game. They, they did do a lot of read option stuff and, and quite a lot of like quarterback power and stuff like that. So um, he's kind of a thicker body guy. So he, he can take a little bit more punishment, um, which he thankfully given the number of sacks he's taken, um, he, he's holding up because of that. But um yeah, they haven't really involved. In, I think they've used like three read option plays with him, and and they haven't necessarily been the most effective. Um, so they don't they don't seem to be wanting to get to that kind of stuff. So I, I don't think you'll see that. Um, I, I think you could see some run game stuff. They have been getting into more run game stuff, but they're still averaging about forty passes a game. So it, it's very much heavy towards the the passing game and. They only really get into the run game if if they're leading in the second half and trying to round the clock. It, it's it's not something that they're particularly. They're not the old school like we're going to establish the run and, and run play action off of that. It, it's very much passing games first and foremost. So, um, and and you know the old West Coast stuff of the short quick game stuff and we'll use screens and stuff as kind of an extension of the run game and the occasional RPO and stuff like that, but the the run game stuff has been minimal um which is odd because it's actually been pretty decent when when they've got to it um brian robinson is is quietly having a pretty decent year um at running back and and they have some threats in antonio gibson and and they've got a nice rookie and chris rodriguez that um that they like and and it the the run game when they get to it is a lot of gun stuff and and they they tend to work out of 11 personnel and and they tend to try to get lighter boxes, um, try to force teams to go too deep and, and um, hope that they can, you know, get that mismatch with a lighter box and, and use Brian Robinson's strength to kind of pick up three or four yards rather than get stuffed for one or two. So, um, yeah, it, it's not heavy by any means, um, but it, it, it is sprinkled in here or there. Um, and, and the past few weeks, BNM done a better job of. of sprinkling it in more frequently um, to, to kind of more save Sam Howell's arm than anything else because he was having a few weeks there where he was throwing 50 passes a game and it's like they yeah. had, I think they had one uh, it might have been the Giants game where they passed the ball 55 times in a row um, so what? yeah <laughs> so um, don't, I, I won't be too worried about the run game, it's it's <laughs> not something they're too insistent on, they they, they want to pass the ball
1: very interesting again it's kind of going to be like i mean seattle's geared up to stop the run in a way that they weren't last year but they're really happy to play as much um like nickel over front as they can like it will be over 90 percent their figures in that in that look um and then uh on like neutral downs uh and then when it comes to like anything remotely looking like a passing down they'll get into dime and they'll put Jamal adams like as the weak side backer and the other thing, when they face teams who pass a lot, they um, they will do a lot of creepers, like replacement uh, zones. You know, sure. rush four, but uh, drop a guy off the line of scrimmage and, and rush like an Adams or or maybe Bobby Wagner, maybe Jordan Brooks. Uh, I do worry about if it's a lot of kind of crossing routes, uh, quick game to quick to intermediate stuff. Wagner can be isolated, especially if it's kind of too high. So another thing to keep an eye on. Right, so defense. Um, we t- talked about it at the start. Why did they trade uh, both Chase Young and Montez Sweat? I know Sweat was the first one, In the second round pick. I was like, "Well, that's interesting," because my understanding of his situation was he, you know, he wanted to get paid a lot. Uh, he did get paid a lot. He has high sack production, but it's kind of like, well, he's also got Darren Payne and Jonathan Allen doing a lot of good stuff on the inside, getting doubles and. Perhaps he's not worth what he. well well, he got paid crazy, but um, yeah, perhaps, you know, even what he was asking for in Washington, maybe he wasn't worth that. And then I saw you were proposing extending Chase Young after the sweat news broke, and then lo and behold, they trade Chase Young for a third round pick. So then suddenly it's like, well, one, you've got rid of two, like pre- one very productive edge rusher, one guy who's kind of really improving this year, and Young, right? And then two, um, who who else uh, is there? Like, why would you do that if, if the team's sort of on a trajectory? Uh, why? Help me understand.
0: Yeah, it, it was an odd one. I, I think they kind of put themselves in this hole where um, they spent the four first-round picks on defensive linemen. They had Jonathan Allen and dron Payne on, on the interior, and then they had Montez Sweat, Chase Young on, on the edge. And those four never really found a way to click and, and dominate a game the way that certain other defensive lines have. Like the forty ers um, for instance.
1: They exactly. they they love splashing on like it's it's so funny how their defence I mean, it rightly gets a lot of praise, but sometimes they have like seven first round picks on their D line. <laughs> like there's years <laughs> where that's been a thing. I think it was eight when Salah got to the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, it's um it's crazy and what I have since learned is that you can't just put four first-round picks and say, go go play, and they will dominate. They, there oh. needs to be scheme involved in that. Damn it. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think what it came down to was they'd already paid Jonathan Allen. They'd paid Jerome Payne. Um, and like if they really wanted to make it work, especially if Sam Howell turns into being their franchise quarterback and they have this window where he's on a fifth round contract um, for a few more years, then they probably could have made it work if they wanted to. But the defense hasn't been terribly successful. Um, and, you know, it kind of felt like they were only going to have to, they were going to have to make a choice of, do we let one go and, and keep one or, or or what do we do? Here? Um, so I, when it felt like the right, for me, the way this season was playing out was, Chase Young was developing into the guy that we all thought he could be when they drafted him second overall, that uh, he obviously had that hyped up the generational talent tag and, and that's not doing anyone any favors, but he, he had that hype around him and and he started to live up to it in his rookie year. And then he got hurt in his second year and he didn't have a great year before he got hurt. And then he missed most of the second year and, and missed most of his third year as well. So he was just starting to get back from a, a really bad knee injury and he was starting to show the pressure numbers, not necessarily the sacks. Like He did have five, five sacks, so it wasn't like he was doing badly, but the pressure numbers were up there with just about anyone in the league. Um, so it felt like, okay, we're finally getting to see the Chase Young that we've all wanted to see for a while. Montez Sweat, has is he is a very productive player. He's a very good football player. He's a really well-rounded player. He, he's not just a, a pass rush guy. He, he does a lot of good work in the run game and he he's very good on like sniffing out when there's a screen or, you know, chasing down a bubble screen outside. He redirects real quick and get back and gets back out there. And and he's really alert to all of those kind of things. So he's a really, really well-rounded football player. His pass rush has never been his best asset. I don't think. And he's never fully developed what he should have done because he had explosive speed and he has this amazing length and he never really utilize either of those skill sets to to the best of his potential, really. Um, so he always kind of felt like a, a fourth rusher that, you know, the other three are taking up all the guys and, and he gets left on a tight end. And so he gets the sack because he's playing a tight end, but he's playing a tight, against the tight end and, and he, he should be beating that guy for a sack. So um, when he was faced with a tackle or he got chips and stuff, he, he very rarely was overly productive. So for me, the, the trade of him to the bears for that second round pick. And and that could be a very high second round pick that that could be a a top three pick in the second round. Um, I thought that was fantastic value and it just made sense. It's like, okay, well we've solved that problem of who do we keep and, and who do we pay and can we keep both of them? Probably not. And, and what's a fair deal. It felt like you trade Montez sweat, you get great value back for that. It just felt natural that you say, okay, well we trade, we, we, we pay chase young. we, We keep our three first round picks and, and, we we move on but there seems to have been some sort of disconnect between chase young and and either ron rivera or you know the coaching staff at the front office and and that regime they they've never fully clicked it doesn't seem um well the leaks
1: sorry to interrupt but the leaks which came out afterwards about how he's a you know terrible uh like person to coach basically practice (laughs) practice is bad doesn't pay attention in meetings that sort of stuff I don't know if you saw some of those reports. But, yeah, that, a, a like, lot that's, of them... uh, that's that's wild for that to come out.
0: Yeah, it, it was it was very quick to come out as well. There was a quote within about an hour of him being traded um, about how the commanders think that this will be an addition by subtraction, which is quite a damning quote, <laughs> um, especially when the guy you know has the most pressures on your team um, this season. <laughs> um, it, it was a very weird quote, and in a year where. Re- Ron Rivera needs to win to keep his job, to impress the new ownership. Um, You'd think that if, if Chase Young was that much of a problem, he would have benched Chase Young. Um, Like they, they did bench their first round pick. I'm sure we'll get onto Emmanuel Forbes. They benched him earlier this season. They shouldn't have any troubles benching a guy that um, they think is an addition by subtraction, but you know, they played him more snaps than just about anyone else. So clearly they, they liked his production. Um, But yeah, it, it was very weird to hear those those kind of comments come out, and and as I say, clearly there was some sort of disconnect between Chie Xiong and, and this regime, um, and so they decided to to move on from him as well. And, and yeah, it's kind of puzzling to me. Uh, I still don't love that move, um, and, and maybe there's, as you said, there's there's maybe stuff about his like work ethic and character. I I never like to go into that because it, it feels unfair on a guy, um, and that was kind of the way that Dan Snyder used to run this team where like they would fire someone or trade someone or, or, release someone. And then within hours of that happening, Snyder would have contacted someone and said, yeah, this guy was terrible and, and basically blames them for everything that was wrong in the building instead of taking in any sort of accountability. And that kind of felt like continuation of that. So, um, yeah, I, I hope that they kind of move on from, from that kind of thing. And, and, yeah, it, it, it left a bad taste in the mouth, um, but you know, it is what it is, and I suspect Chase Young's going to come back. That They play the 49ers later in the year, so I su- suspect Chase Young's going to have a, a pretty um pretty big game that week, <laughs> especially against yeah, this offensive line.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the fact that that third round pick's not going to be that high, is it? I mean, no, it we was... would like to think as a Seattle podcast that the 49ers won't win the NFC West, but they're... Now, after week nine, and even with Fortnite losing some games, <laughs> they're five hundred three. Um, they'll probably be like twentieth at best.
0: Like, well, it's not even their original pick; it's the one of their compensatory picks that they got for. Um... Oh,
1: that's right. Yeah, for the di- diversity hires.
0: Yeah, so it, it's one. Of, so it is very much. It's basically a fourth round pick. Yeah, amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh, and then the other thing I, I i thought of when you were talking about that situation and characters not meshing is i'd find it hard with like you know not not that we know we have enough information but jack del rio is the defense coordinator like he is a, you know a character he's he's done some things in the past where i've been like hmm interesting um (laughs) like political stuff and compared to like Chase Young if Chase Young's being highly productive (laughs) I know there's one player and Jack Del Rio has been coaching in the NFL for quite a while but (laughs) um yeah what what are your impressions of Jack Del Rio Uh, not just for Chase Young or his political uh (laughs) past but um (laughs) As a as a D coordinator, because I know the memes are, and the like narratives on Twitter is that they're always busting coverages, they're always trying to do too much. Um, I've seen a I've got a Jack Del Rio um, Raiders playbook, which is a uh, it's a lot of stuff in there, like meaty. It was a combination with um, when Ken Norton Jr. was there, so I'm sure they were trying to right. kind of blend systems like his kind of Fangio ish elements with the uh, Norton's uh, exposures to like Pete Carroll's like Kiffin stuff, but. It was like, massive and, and very complicated, and they didn't do very well in, in Oakland either, really. <laughs> um, but, yeah, how, how is it doing in Washington? Is is Twitter right for once?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, to a degree they are. Um, there certainly has been a lot of coverage busts um, for the the four years that he's been here. Um, the, the trend seems to be they start the year really badly. Um, they have a bunch of coverage busts. They, they make some sort of change. They go a lot more basic um, and by the end of the year that by playing more basic stuff, they're playing faster and and just better football. Um, And, and then they get to the off season and they go, well, let's try doing that all over again. And so they, they try to complicate stuff again at the start of the year and they bust a bunch of coverages and then start to get more basic. And and that's kind of the trend we're seeing again this year. Um, It's quite disappointing, really. Uh, Personally, I think I've, I think I said two years ago, I would have fired Del Rio um, and they persisted with him. And I I think a lot of that is down to uh, Ron Rivera is a very, very loyal person. Um, And Jack Del Rio was hired, not just because he's a defensive coordinator, but because he had experience as a head coach. And when, when Ron Rivera took over um, he was battling cancer and was having to leave the facility to do cancer treatments and, and stuff like that. And, and, Jack Del Rio essentially became the head coach when Rivera wasn't able to be there. And I think that probably got a lot of credit in the bank with Rivera and, and he's he's staying pretty loyal to Del Rio for that. But um in terms of the product that's being put on the field, it's wildly inconsistent. Um and you know, they a few years ago they signed William Jackson Free Agency. And and William Jackson at that point had been known as this guy that was a really good press corner, um, wasn't particularly great in zone. Um, but Washington were kind of a, trending towards being a more of his zone team, and everyone thought, well, they, they've signed this guy, so they're probably going to play more press coverage. And lo and behold, they tried to fit him in his own scheme, uh, and he really struggled. Um, and then they eventually, after I think it was after like 18 games or something like that, they decided to cut him and move on um and so and then they switched to playing zone stuff and and were a lot more productive and and last year they they started to get into what was you know they were playing a lot of quarters um, some match stuff um and it was working like they they had personnel that fit that system um the front four was being efficient um in generating pressure and, and they when Young was injured they were, they were mixing in some like sim pressure stuff where like as you mentioned with with the Seahawks they they'd drop an end off and then bring a linebacker and, and it would still be a four but it would um it would be a different four than what the offense was expecting and and, and that was working for them um and then in the offseason they drafted Emmanuel Forbes um and <laughs> it was like okay well they they've been leaning more into quarters and match stuff and and Forbes is very good at you can see his instincts when he's playing often with vision um in zone coverages and match stuff he's he's very very good at that um and then for whatever reason they've just decided we're going to play a hell of a lot of man coverage um and, and yeah. like just recently this week against the patriots and, and granted the patriots receiver group at this point in time is is not the best um but they basically lived in in cover 1 uh for most of the game and, and played pretty much man coverage um in almost all key situations so um yeah it, it's it's been very weird um they keep they keep making big acquisitions because like william jackson was a very high free agent right signing they spent a lot of money on him um and then they decided to not play him to his strengths and and now they've used the first round pick on emmanuel forbes and they're not playing him to his strengths so it it's just been a really confusing time um and i don't I don't quite think they know exactly what they want to do. Um, And and that has obviously led to, as we talked about, the coverage busts and and stuff like that on the back end, where, you know, guys are just running wide open down the field and and it's not helped. Like that front four that we talked about, those four first round picks not being successful, like a lot of the time they weren't set up to succeed because there was a receiver running wide open down the seam within two seconds of the ball being snapped so there's not really much they could do about that
1: you need rushing coverage coverage and rush and when you when you don't have one immediately then you're done yeah
0: exactly yeah
1: yeah i remember the watching the i think was the bears game a monday night football game
0: yes yeah yeah it was time time
1: and i was like it's early enough in the season for me to try and pay attention to this (laughs) and some of the like the tampa 2 like you can play tampa 2 gets a really bad rap but there's like a time and a place for it and you know when when it's good, it's really good. Um, but like the safety not being playing wide enough, or like not being on the same page with the technique his corner was playing with. It's like I don't know how that happens. When well, when you're in the NFL, it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> um, and then yeah, the the Forbes thing. Uh, he's 180 pounds on a good day, right? Like yep. it's, it's, that's absolutely fine. I'm I'm a l- smaller guy myself, is right. <laughs> um, but. Um, I don't understand why you'd you that kind of uh sounds like the GM's just not uh on the same page or the division's just not being uh yeah, it's not
0: cohesive. It, it's very well, odd. Well, the, the weird thing is is that Ron Rivera is effectively the GM. He has final say over the Right, roster. right. So... But like
1: clearly he doesn't talk to Del Rio enough or he <laughs> Del Rio's not doing what he wants. I don't know, but I I mean Forbes he's made some really cool like um Ability. Well, it's why he's a first round pick. But his ability to undercut, like in in breaking routes when he had outside leverage on the play and take his, his chance there, like digs and stuff, that's like really cool. And I and I think you know the way he can drive on crossing routes and 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 kind of uh, when when he's got that outside leverage and gain ground, make up ground, recover, uh, is impressed me. But uh, he was bad enough to get benched.
0: Yeah, he he did get benched for a spell, and and essentially he got left quite frequently on an island against AJ Brown and AJ Brown was in the middle of well i think he's still in that spell where he was basically guaranteed 100 yards a game yeah. um and um he struggled with the the physicality that AJ Brown plays with um and, and as we talked about Forbes is a, is a smaller guy a lighter frame um for some reason they they thought that was a good matchup i don't really know why i I would guess they think Emmanuel Forbes has good length um, despite being a smaller frame. Um, like he's, he, I think he's still six foot one or six foot two, but he's, yeah, as you say, 180 pounds. And that's probably being generous. He's probably closer to 165. Um, so he's very skinny. Um, so he has the length to be able to handle bigger receivers, but, and kind of get his hands in at the catch point. But when you have a guy like AJ Brown at the top of his game, it, it's, someone that can box out and use that their size and their physicality to, to kind of box them out and, and protect the catch point. And that's kind of what happened. Uh the, the other issue he had been dealing with was a lot of double moves. Um mm. he Forbes is one of the most aggressive corners I've seen in a while. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah He's a maniac. Yeah. Yeah. He he loves to bite on just about everything and, and it works for him when that route is uh you know an underneath route and then he can jump it. Um, but when it's a double move, he quite often gets himself out of position. And the, the Eagles that first Eagles game back in week four, they I think they ran like seven or eight double moves at him and every single one he was biting on and, and getting beat. Um so yeah, he, he really did struggle with, with specifically with double moves. Um and then in that Bears game, um he missed a few tackles on on DJ Moore um when he he started to adjust with the double moves and, and try to give himself a bit more of a cushion, but that meant he was further yeah. off of the receiver when they made the catch. And and then he had to try to make up ground and then try to make a tackle and his tackling form wasn't particularly great. Um, and so I think there was that one where DJ Moore kind of broke his tackle and got down the sideline for a long touchdown. So yeah, he was struggling quite a bit with that um, early in the season. They benched him for a few weeks, um, he came back into the lineup this past week against the Patriots. Uh, again, it was, as I say, it was kind of odd because he's this zone corner that you want to be playing zone stuff, but the game that they bring him back and he played 75% of the snap. He played five snaps against the Eagles two weeks ago, and he played five snaps the week before that. So he was pretty much benched. And then this week, he's back up to 75% of the snaps. Uh, but those snaps were, the majority of that was, was pure man coverage, um, which was, was very good. Um, so uh, sorry, very very odd. Um, yeah, he did well, but it was it was odd. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's a weird one, um, and I, I don't really have an answer for it because everyone was like, okay, they're they're finally drafting a guy to fit their system, uh, and then they decided to switch the system. <laughs> it makes no sense.
1: Oh, that would infuriate me, especially when you've seen it happen before, deja vu. Um, I've had. Uh, I mean, I, it sounds interesting because. DK Metcalf, um, he he hasn't been doing as well as I think fans may be expected. And um, he they do love a double move to him on like a slant go or maybe even a, a stutter, not not necessarily a double move, but like a stutter hitch or then a stutter and then take off down the field. Jake Bobo, he's been... Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Jake Bobo. But he's, <laughs> I have um... not, I've not heard that name. It's <laughs> a great name, but I have not it, heard that. Great name. Um, well, imagine, right, imagine like, Cooper Cup, but six foot four, um, and uh, with with DK Metcalf skill set, no, he's, (laughs) but um, he he can sell a double move, um, sure, he's kind of been a fun story of the undrafted free agent out of uh, UCLA, uh, twenty five years old. He's been a a fun, uh, only played nine snaps last week, but he has uh, two touchdowns, I think. He had an incredible touchdown catch, uh, against the Browns damn i can't even remember but yeah he he, my point being they have two kind of tall big guys who may be able to bully forbes and and get him on the double move um obviously metcalf's a bit more of a bit more metcalf could have been like an aj brown level player and for whatever reason that hasn't quite um worked his way out anyway right so last thing kind of on the front mark because uh Seattle should have, like, the healthiest offensive line possible out there. But, you know, they had a really bad week in Week 9 against the Ravens. And what the Ravens do schematically is tough. Um, We'll have to see how Del Rio gets on. But Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, to me, they're, like, very, very good Um, on the interior. I don't know where I'd put... uh, But both of them are easily top 20 interior players in the NFL, right? Um, And I don't know how you'd break down the top 10. But um, are they having down years or is it just kind of a struggling defense? You know, the edge players get some more glitz. Like if Young's having a high pressure rate, Sweat's been productive. Um, Yeah. Are they still good?
0: They're still good. Um, I think you probably. I think it'd probably be fair to say they are having somewhat down years. Um, like Jonathan, Allen the past few years, I would have said, would have been a top five interior defensive tackle. Obviously, there's there's the Aaron Donald section on its own, and then there's the kind of Chris Jones, um, who's the one in Tennessee. Um, I can't remember There's there's that second tier of guys just behind John. Uh, uh Aaron Simmons oh. right Simmons yeah yeah um and, and and Jonathan Allen's right in there for me um and he, he's very very good um I think this year he has struggled a little bit with um Chase Young coming back into the lineup and, and Chase Young likes to kind of do his thing he, he he doesn't just stay on the edge he likes to dive inside and and so Allen has struggled I think a little bit with you know, Chase Young quite often ends up in the gap that Alan wants to rush into. Right, um, that
1: rush chemistry sort of thing.
0: Exactly. Um, and, and that was why I'd, I'd written... Well, I was I was in the middle of writing when, <laughs> God when, damn Chase, it. Young, when <laughs> Chase Young got traded. I was in the middle of writing about how they should swap Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne because Payne's a lot better playing off someone, whereas Alan's a lot better being the guy that someone else plays off of. Um, but, yeah, that obviously doesn't matter anymore. Um yeah, they're, they, Jerome Payne's never been an amazing pass rusher. He's the guy that's gotten more sacks, but it's kind of it's quite similar to what I talked about with Sweat, where Allen and Young line up on that left side of the offensive line, and so the offensive line quite often slides that way to try to help those uh, block up those guys. So, they're, um, at,
1: so, so they're always they, playing left and right with the personnel. They
0: they have done basically. Before until this trade yeah. um that has been the, the way it has been has been montez sweat um over the right tackle um drawn pain inside of him chase young over the left tackle with Jonathan Allen inside of him um i pretty much most of the time again in in this last game it's the patriots and this is the only example we've had of them playing without sweat and young um but pretty much throughout that game, they, they still maintain those sides. Um, so expect Jonathan Allen over the left guard. Uh, expect Drawn Payne over the, the right guard or the center, with, depending on um, how they've got their front aligned. But um yeah, quite often it was a case of Jerome Payne got a lot of his production from when the line was sliding the other way and, and he'd get a, a nice matchup or a good angle with like maybe the right tackle was trying to slide to cut him off and, and couldn't get there or, or something like that. Um, so, and... I don't want to downplay Dron Payne. Like he has a really good first step. Um, so if you have a guy that really struggles with quickness um, at, at right guard, then um, Dron Payne can give him issues. But if you can cut off that first step, um, Dron Payne doesn't have like a real nice arsenal of pass rush moves to go to. Whereas Jonathan Allen has quite a few different moves that yeah. he can go to, and, and he can he can beat left guards consistently with a, a variety of moves. So
1: um, Different body types, right? Like one's kind of more nosy, one's more three techy. Yes, and and so Alan's got kind of more splash about him, just in general. It was so yeah. funny when he came out how he like you watch the tape and this you're like this guy is could be the best defensive player in that draft. Like he looks unreal. Like got to be a top five pick. And I don't know if the NFL like maybe they knew something, maybe they had other concerns, but it seemed like his testing just like. Uh, where he didn't test like a crazy athlete, even though on tape it looked like a crazy athlete. I think he tested really badly. Um, I'd have to go back and look that up. But I remember that seemed to sink him. Like I can't believe he went um, it was 17 seventeen. yeah.
0: yeah the, I, I believe the main reason given for that was people thought that he had a shoulder injury that meant, meant he wouldn't ah. see through to a second contract. That obviously hasn't proven to be the case okay that makes
1: sense
0: yeah I, I believe that was the main reason i, I don't I, I think you're right that there was some a little bit of doubt with like he didn't necessarily test as well as people thought that he was going to um but yeah that you're right that the film was fantastic on him um and, and um you know the film on dron pain in certain games was fantastic
1: yeah um, yeah that was his thing wasn't
0: it yeah um it, like if, if he puts it all together with that first step and the, and the size that he has uh, at, with that athleticism, you would think that he could be a dominant force. And at times he can be, but it's not consistent enough. Um, but in general, they are still two very good players. Um, they're, not, they're not playing to that. Like Jonathan Allen currently isn't playing to that, that top five defensive tackle level. Um, but he is still, I, I still have them both in the top 20. They're, they're still both playing relatively well, and they're still very hard to run against. Um, it, they, they, you know, they have those teachings from Alabama of of how to yeah. stack up high and, and maintain their gap, and, and they can be versatile, whether they want to penetrate one gap or if they want to need a guy to two gap, both of them are capable of doing that. So um, they're very hard to run against. They're very stout. Um, and, and hopefully with, you know, without Jason Young trying to attack his gap too often, Alan can start to get back to the guy he was last year.
1: Yeah, uh, it sounds like a really big test for Seattle because they've been unable to run the football well in recent weeks, uh, kind of on the season. There's been very few games where they've been able to grind out reliable yards. It's kind of relying on the odd explosive um, and which and that hasn't come in recent weeks. Damian Lewis, um, playing left guard, was rusty coming back into the lineup uh, last week. And then Evan Brown, there was signs that he was struggling with a big head-up kind of style, nose tackle, or a guy playing in the shade against the Ravens. But he's he's been solid up to that point. And Phil Haynes at right guard, he'd been working at left guard. So he had some, some issues uh, going for him. So big-time matchup. Well, Mark, you've been very... Um, kind of your time thank you very much finally is uh i mean how do you see this seattle offense versus this washington defense would you be nervous as a you know as a commander's watcher
0: yeah well i it's weird because this this defense comes out weirdly every week like they they haven't yet put together a full complete game but they haven't also put together a game where they've looked horrific the entire game like they 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 tend to play to the level of opposition like against the bills in week two like they held josh allen that bills offense to 16 points throughout basically till halfway through the fourth quarter and then because the offense gave them nothing that they kind of eventually just got too tired and and worn down and, and gave up some points then but um they've had good spells but um teams that are able to kind of handle what they do up front. I say handle what they do up front. They're not overly complex up front. They they sometimes run some stunts. A lot of the time it's just rush four. Um, And I did think that maybe they would try to do a little bit more um, blitzing and stuff without Sweat and and Young being there anymore. Um, That wasn't the case last week. And it might have just been that that was the game plan because the Patriots – Are the Patriots and that's where they are right now that you don't need to necessarily do that much but they they didn't get much pressure last week at all um so um yeah I I, the main one I fear is how they handle those receivers and then as you mentioned kind of Metcalf if if they get Metcalf isolated on Forbes um that's going to be a real tough test for Forbes and and maybe they'll look to be playing some more zone maybe they'll be looking to offer Forbes a little bit more safety help and stuff like that I, I I don't know it's kind of hard to predict what they're going to do because as I say you think they draft a guy to play zone and then they suddenly switch to playing man it, it's it's hard to predict so um but yeah that that would be a matchup that that does worry me um and I think that would be one that if I'm the Seahawks I'm I'm doing my best to isolate Forbes and and go at him with Either just the physicality of Metcalf, or as you say, the the ability with the double moves, and, and test whether he has solved that issue from earlier this season.
1: Interesting. I'm, I can't believe I haven't asked you about um, Cody Barton, who on this <laughs> podcast we were pretty big defenders of Cody because yeah, he you know he has his weaknesses, but he's ve- he was very good in coverage here, and a lot of the things he got blamed for were kind of. Okay, he you know maybe he gets stuck to blocks a bit too long. He could slip blocks better. His play strength was kind of uh, an issue, but a lot of the time it wasn't really his run fit. Like he was doing his job. It was because the up front situation schematically as well as execution wise was abysmal. Um, And he was actually a fine player. He signs a one year deal in Washington, and I've seen kind of a similar thing on Twitter of people blaming him for stuff. Where I'm like, that's not actually that. That's not hitting in his gap. Like he's in his gap, or you know a bit of kind of over uh, a scapegoating of him and he is quite an easy player to scapegoat, but he's on injured reserve, Mark. So <laughs> he,
0: he is on injured reserve, um, which it's weird. He, he had a slow start to the season. He did have a lot of struggles adapting to how Washington fits up some things and, and you could see that they wanted him to be their, their mic to make all the calls and adjustments. And you yep. can see quite frequently that he was kind of pausing at the snap and, and being like, okay, what's happening? I need to read this rather than just playing instinctively. Interesting. Um, and, and so that was that was causing him to be late to a lot of things, and, and that was causing Washington, because they like to play, they play with too deep quite a bit, um, certainly early in the season they were yeah. playing with too deep quite a lot. Um, it, it caused them to be real light in the box because Bart- Barton was their sixth guy and, and he wasn't filling his gap quickly enough, so they were really struggling. But he was just turning the curve like, – he his last game was against the Falcons, and he that was his easily his best performance, and probably the best linebacker performance Washington have had for quite a while. Um, and he was fitting things real quick and and attacking gaps and and making a ton of stops. And, and as you say, he, he's solid in coverage. So um, and then he got hurt, so and he's on IR. So yeah, there, there's not going to be any homecoming for Cody Barton, unfortunately. Um, and, and Washington uh, is certainly missing. The guy that played against the falcons at least um right yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's
1: right well good to we we had to check in on cody uh mark thank you so much for your your time you've been very uh, generous with it make sure you check out mark at mark bullock nfl and also his Substack, which is just mark bullock right mark bullock yeah,
0: markbullock.substack.com. Yep.
1: there you go anything else you want to plug
0: no i think you covered it there thanks
1: no problem um thanks once again if you need anything Reach out. All right. Yep. Thank you, chat. Uh, follow me at Matty F. Brown. Follow the podcast at Seattle Overload. Uh five star reviews if you're listening, please. And also comment. Uh, great episode. Goodbye.